Once again, to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And of course, do not forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. And since our last episode, we now have some new listeners in several more countries, specifically Nicaragua and two island nations, Cyprus in the Mediterranean and the Federated States of Micronesia in the Pacific. Pretty damn cool. Welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen, and we hope you'll continue to stick around. This past week, I also put a quick poll on Twitter asking you, the fans, what your favorite Attitude Era moment from Monday Night Raw has been so far during the timeline of this podcast. Your nominees were the Steve Austin-Mike Tyson brawl, Tyson joining Degeneration X, the dumpster incident, or the Undertaker returning to challenge Kane at WrestleMania, and here are the results. The Dumpster Incident and Tyson joining DX tied at 11%. The Undertaker's return garnered a respectable 31% of the vote. And your winner was the Austin Tyson Brawl with a whopping 47% of the vote. Thank you to all who participated, and I would have to say you guys probably got that one right. Now, since our last episode, we were obviously quite shocked to learn about the death of Joni Lara, a.k.a. China. I won't get too much into it by now because you probably heard quite a few takes on the matter, many of them likely with more insight than I can provide. The best thing I can say is she was truly a pioneer in the industry, a strong woman who was often put on equal footing with the men at a time when it was truly a male-dominated industry. Keep in mind where we currently are in the timeline of this podcast, there isn't even a women's title or division in the WWF at the moment, but China is prominently featured every week because she's just such a unique physical presence. I mean, how often do you see a woman portrayed as a legitimately convincing bodyguard for a male wrestler? Definitely a rarity. So again, very sad to hear about this unfortunate news, but I can promise you that China will continue to be prominently featured in the Attitude Era and on this podcast as well, so I hope you'll enjoy reliving some of her career highlights with us as we go along. Alright, so without any further ado, let's get into the show. It is Monday, March 9th, 1998, and we are... Pre-taped six days in advance from Wheeling, West Virginia. Yes, that's right. Wheeling, West Virginia. Population 28,000. That means we're three weeks away from WrestleMania 14, and they're in a town whose entire population contains roughly one-third the number of people who attended WrestleMania 32. Food for thought. However, I can't knock West Virginia because I know we have quite a few listeners there, so thanks a lot for tuning in, you intrepid mountaineers. Tonight's episode of Raw is actually the show's 250th episode, but they don't acknowledge this at any point, so apparently they don't give a shit. We open with a recap of the festivities from last week's awesome episode of Raw. Mike Tyson joined DX, Shawn Michaels super-kicked Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Undertaker returned to challenge Kane to a match at WrestleMania. Cue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Tons of great signs tonight, so clearly the people of West Virginia have brought their A-games. Some noteworthy ones include... Nation of Masturbation, Big Daddy Kane, DDS, I Wouldn't Job to Kurgan, I Love to See a Sunny Butt, what? And Sable, Can I Follow You Home? Now, I find the wording of that one a little bit curious. He's not asking Sable if he can go home with her, but rather if he can follow her home. There is a difference. Apparently, that gentleman is under the impression you are allowed to stalk someone if they give you permission. 
Also, I can't tell if this was planned or not, but there are two fans in completely different sections of the arena holding separate signs which say, Who farted? and I farted. If they didn't come to the show together, it's probably the greatest coincidence of all time. I posted a picture of those signs on our Twitter, at RawAttitudePod, so check that out because it's amazing whether they planned it or not. We open with the aforementioned nation of masturbation heading to the ring for a match with your WWF Intercontinental Champion The Rock and Farouk taking on the most awesome tag team ever assembled, Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman. Seriously, this is my dream team, so this match is getting five stars no matter what happens. You may recall back in episode 4 of this podcast, which covered the January 12th episode of Raw, The Rock delivered his first ever people's elbow. He's been doing that move ever since, but it's never actually been given a specific name, with the announcers usually just calling it the Big Elbow. Well, finally, two months later, Kevin Kelly officially puts this episode of Raw in the history books by telling us that The Rock has given the move a name. The Rock now setting him up. There it is. The big elbow into the sternum. Shamrock felt that one. Now he wants that referred to as the people's elbow, dropping it on Shamrock. And somehow, that move still lives on to this very day. Right after Rock hits it, we get the first of several instances of technical difficulties tonight as the video feed began to look scratchy. I initially thought this was a legitimate error, but I think it actually somewhat plays into an angle later tonight. You'll see what I mean. The finish of the match came when Shamrock hit The Rock with a standing Hurricane Rana and went for the pin, but Farouk ran in to break it up, and then the rest of the nation ran into the ring for no reason whatsoever, resulting in the 857th disqualification finish since I started doing this podcast. The nation started beating on Shamrock in the corner, but The Rock pulled Farouk off him and told him he wanted Shamrock all to himself. Farouk then defiantly ordered the rest of the nation to leave and head up the ramp, so Rock was left alone with Shamrock. Of course, Shamrock then ended up rallying and hitting Rock with a belly-to-belly suplex as Farouk told Kama, D'Lo, and Mark Henry not to get involved. Rock headed outside the ring, but Shamrock followed him, knocked him down, and put him in the ankle lock. Rock tapped wildly and screamed for the nation to help him out, but Farouk told them to head backstage. Eventually, WWF officials managed to pull Shamrock off of Rock, but the damage was already done. At this point, it's starting to feel like Farouk and The Rock are a bitter married couple heading for divorce, while Kama, D'Lo, and Mark Henry are the traumatized children who are stuck in the middle and have to play favorites. Don't worry though, fellas. The plus side is, you'll get two Christmases. After a commercial break, Triple H and China head to the ring. Hunter recaps how China interfered in Owen Hart's match last week, and he says she may get even more physical with him tonight if she chooses to do so. He then tells us that Shawn Michaels will not be on the show tonight, and he directs our attention to the Titantron, where he shows us multiple replays of HBK superkicking Steve Austin last week, complete with a whipping sound effect every time the boot makes contact with Austin's face. This segues us to a pre-taped message from Shawn, who is oddly sitting in a booth at an unnamed restaurant somewhere. He says that having Mike Tyson in his corner should certainly tilt the Vegas odds in his favor, and he repeats his mantra that, quote, the heartbreak kid doesn't lay down for anybody. Hunter then tells the crowd to suck it and heads to the commentary table, where he thankfully makes Kevin Kelly give up his seat. Also at this point, the guy holding the who farted sign in the front row behind the commentary table is going crazy pointing at Kevin Kelly and Triple H as though they were the ones who farted, so that was fun. Our next match is a WWF European title match. Champion Owen Hart versus the ridiculous-looking bleach-blonde fat cowboy Barry Windham, accompanied by Jim Cornette. Before the match, Owen walks to the commentary table and tries to get in Hunter's face, but China stands in the way. They exchange words, but then he heads into the ring. The match then begins, and, well, truthfully, it really wasn't all that great. Surprisingly, it does last about five minutes, which is basically an eternity by the current Raw standards, so at least they have that going for them. The finish came when Owen and Wyndham were brawling on the outside of the ring, and then Owen pushed Wyndham back in. However, when Owen went to re-enter the ring, Jim Cornette distracted referee Tim White, and China gave Owen a ball shot, knocking him down to the floor. In a move I have never seen before or since, even while Cornette was distracting him, Tim White 
kept doing his 10 count, even though he was not looking in Owen's direction, and presumably Owen could have come back into the ring while his back was turned. With subpar refereeing skills like that, it's no wonder he tried to kill himself in 16 separate lunchtime suicide skits posted on WW.com in 2006. Tim's depression has been so overwhelming ever since a shoulder injury ended his refereeing career. Every week, Tim White has been trying to, well, end it all. Oh my god! Oh my god! Mr. White, that wasn't wise! Yeah, hold your heads up high for those skits, WWE. You've earned it. Although I suppose the one silver lining there is that Josh Matthews' catchphrase in those sketches may have directly inspired Aaron Paul's thrice Emmy-winning performance as Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. Yeah, Mr. White! Yes, science! So, anyway, Tim White counts out Owen Hart, giving the victory to Barry Windham as Triple H laughs his ass off on commentary because, to be fair, ball shots are pretty amusing. After the match, Bradshaw runs into the ring and starts beating on Windham, which causes Hunter and China to scamper backstage for some reason, despite the fact that Bradshaw posed literally no threat to them. There's another reason to mark this one down in the history books, folks. The Owen Hart Triple H feud just got shunted aside in favor of a confrontation between the new Blackjacks. You won't see that every day. After a commercial break, we go backstage where Jerry Lawler is ready to interview Kane and Paul Bear inside Kane's locker room, to which I say, at this point in time, doesn't it somewhat kill the mystique of the Kane character to even give him a locker room at all? Shouldn't he be lurking in the bowels of the building or in a boiler room somewhere? It just seems odd to me he is apparently demanding his own accommodations as he goes from arena to arena, attempting to cripple innocent people. I'll show up, set things on fire, and tombstone people every week, but I'm not doing it unless I get my own place to change. Yeah, makes sense. Lawler brings up The Undertaker's return last week, but Bearer says he doesn't want to talk about him. He wants to talk about Vader instead. We then flash back to the No Way Out of Texas pay-per-view, where Kane beat Vader with a tombstone and then smashed him in the face with the world's largest wrench. We then see footage of Vader from 10 days ago where he is sporting two black eyes with a bandage around his head. Needless to say, he isn't wearing the mask because that would just look weird. Bearer then gets interrupted by a thumping noise. He tells Lawler to stop what he's doing, but the king says he didn't do anything. It happens again, and then we see that the cabinets in the locker room are opening all by themselves, presumably due to the power of the Undertaker. Lawler and Bearer run away as Kane stares at the cabinets, apparently disturbed by the fact that he was given the locker room, which was full of ghosts. Seriously, go check out this segment if you can find it, because it's so goddamn ridiculous. It's like a scene from one of those paranormal activity movies, where borderline scary stuff occasionally happens. If Monday Night Raw follows the trajectory of those movies, six weeks from now, The Undertaker may use his powers to knock a stool over, and won't that be terrifying? Next up, Aguila, accompanied by WWF light heavyweight champion Taka Michinoku, takes on Too Sexy Brian Christopher, accompanied by Jerry the King Lawler, who apparently just sprinted away from that haunting so he could walk his son to the ring. On his way down the ramp, Brian Christopher flexes his bicep, licks it, and kisses it, and then he looks directly into the camera and says this. I look good and I taste good, <laughs> And just like that, miraculously, he instantly became even creepier than his father. Several times during this match, the lights began to flicker on and off, so yes, they're really playing up the angle that this arena is being haunted, which begs the question, who are you going to call? The answer, of course is an electrician, because clearly some faulty wiring is to blame. The match was actually pretty solid, but it ended when Aguila went to the top rope, and Lawler crotched him, which the referee actually noticed, so this resulted in... a disqualification. I suppose that makes sense. We had gone about half an hour without a DQ finish, so we were long overdue at this point. 
After the match, Lawler angrily ordered Christopher to keep beating on Aguila, so he hit him with a powerbomb. Christopher then posed on the ring apron, so Taka snuck up on him and hit him with a dropkick, causing Christopher to fall on top of Lawler. The lights began to flicker again, so Lawler and Christopher then ran backstage, seemingly forgetting that they're running right back to the area where all that ghostly shit just happened a little while ago. Much like the teenage girl in the horror movie, they have decided to run upstairs instead of just leaving the building entirely. Backstage, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin angrily walk through the arena doors, and I can only imagine how much more upset he'll be once someone notifies him he just stepped into a remake of The Sixth Sense. And once again, unfortunately, Austin is wearing a fanny pack. It seems like he is single-handedly committed to making those things look badass, but sadly he's fighting a losing battle. Austin asks someone in the production truck to show a clip from Vince McMahon's introduction of Mike Tyson last week, where Vince refers to him as, "...unquestionably the baddest man on the planet." Austin says that introducing Tyson in that way is an insult to him, and he asks the crowd to verify that with a hell yeah. Austin then says that Raw is two hours long, so he's prepared to sit in the ring for two hours until Vince shows up. Apparently, no one told him the show has already been going on for an hour, or perhaps he thought West Virginia was on Central Time? I don't know. Either way, he's calling out Vince McMahon. Jim Ross then stands up from the commentary table and asks Austin to reconsider, but Stone Cold kindly tells him he will whip his ass if he gets involved. Instead of Vince, however, Gerald Briscoe and Jack Lanza walk to the ring. Does that mean Jack Lanza was one of the original Stooges? You be the judge. Austin invites them both into the ring, presumably so he can cause them bodily harm, but they decline and motion for him to come backstage. Austin refuses, and then he tells them to go fetch Vince instead. They walk to the back, but then someone else comes to ringside, Commissioner Slaughter. He also motions for Austin to come backstage, but then Stone Cold gets my favorite line of the night when he mocks Slaughter's signature catchphrase, and tells him this. Get your ass up there and bring Vince McMahon down. And that's in order, jackass. Slaughter starts walking away, and then we cut backstage where Gerald Briscoe is telling Vince he needs to go out there, but Vince refuses. Jim Ross says Austin is holding us all hostage as we go to commercial. When we come back, Pat Patterson and four security guards are heading to the ring and motioning for Austin to come backstage. Austin says they have no guns, so they can't stop him, and then he mocks one of the older security guards for not having many teeth. Apparently, Stone Cold is dead set on turning tonight's show into the Friars Club roast of WWF personnel. And sure enough, the security guards back down from the challenge and walk up the ramp, which means they are somehow even worse at their jobs than Tim White. Finally, Vince McMahon does come to the ring, accompanied by Commissioner Slaughter, Gerald Briscoe, and Earl Hebner. Austin says that Vince was fawning all over Mike Tyson last week, so he's just as guilty as Shawn Michaels. And you know what? I'm actually going to play this clip too because it's the first ever instance of Steve Austin openly confronting Vince McMahon. Now, I'm sure you remember that Austin hit Vince with a stunner six months prior in that infamous spot at Madison Square Garden where Vince flopped around on the ground like a fish, but that segment was not initially confrontational. It was Vince telling Austin he knew Stone Cold was frustrated because he wasn't medically cleared to wrestle, but Vince's mindset was that he was trying to help him. Tonight's segment was quite different, and you can hear that the announcers are playing it up as though Austin has really crossed the line by seeking to humiliate the owner of the company. This should probably be considered the beginning of the Austin-McMahon rivalry, so I think we should all take a listen. Listen, let's face it, Vince. You don't want to see me be the WWE champion, do you? Do you? I'm asking you a question. Let me ask you this, Vince. If you want me to be the WWE champion, give me a hell yeah. Are you going to give me a hell yeah? You heard what they said. I'm asking for you to give me the hell yeah, punk. No, you haven't. There ain't but one thing left for you and me. Oh, boy. Come on, Austin. 
You've been stalking me for the last time, Vince. It's you and me. It's Austin McMahon. I'm giving you the first shot, so give me your best shot. Because if I hit you first, you're going to be laying on the damn mat in a heap. This is so ridiculous. give me your best shot. This is ridiculous. Give me your best shot right there. Now go ahead and hit me. I'm not looking. Blindside me. Austin's a heartbeat away Show from exploding. Show some guts, you yellow Hit me. Oh, oh, do come something. On. You going to hit me or not? He is out of what, control. Are you going to fire me? Hell no, you ain't gonna fire Stone Cold. I'll give you 10 seconds. If you ain't gonna hit me, just take your yellow, rotten, stinking carcass up that damn ramp and get out of my face because I had about enough of you. Austin's making a big mistake. He does not need more enemies. He is so indignant. I think Vince might be his enemy already. How embarrassing. Well, the owner of this company. As you might expect, Vince exits the ring without striking Austin, thereby causing him further embarrassment because he backed down from a challenge. Once he leaves, Austin switches his focus to DX and says that Triple H is going to get his ass whipped tonight since Shawn Michaels isn't there, and HBK may not lay down for anyone, but he won't have to lay down at WrestleMania because he's going to keep knocking his ass down until he won't get up. So there you have it. Austin has now officially made enemies out of DX, Mike Tyson, and Vince McMahon. That seems like a bad spot to be in heading into the biggest match of his career in three weeks, but I guess we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Our next match is Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie versus the Quebecers, who are wearing some pretty sweet-looking powder blue outfits. Amusingly, Jim Ross tells us that the promised NWA tag team title match from last week has been bumped to superstars because Steve Austin's hostage situation dragged on so long. That's right, folks. The Headbangers will face the Rock and Roll Express at 11 in the morning on a Sunday, so be sure to skip church for that. Anyway, this was an okay-ish match. The finish came when Pierre attempted a shoulder block on Cactus Jack in the corner, but Foley moved, causing Pierre to run shoulder first into the ring post, and then Foley hit him with a double-arm DDT for the three count. After the match, Road Dog appears at the top of the ramp wearing an arm sling. He says he isn't 100%, but he tells them to come after him anyway. Foley does, but when he leaves the ring, Billy Gunn sneaks through the crowd and waffles Terry Funk in the back with a chair. Foley then turns around and goes after Billy, but he scampers away before Foley can catch him. Road Dog then literally taunts them by saying, Nanny Nanny Boo Boo, but thankfully he did not add the follow-up line, Stick your head in doo-doo, because this is a family show. After a commercial break, the lights go out and flames explode, so you know what that means. That's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane! And indeed it is, along with Paul Bearer. Amusingly, as they walk to the ring, JR tells us the tickets will soon be going on sale for Raw on April 27th in Hampton, Virginia, and that may stick out for you because a very famous segment happens there, as well as at a neighboring arena in nearby Norfolk, but I won't get ahead of myself there. Bearer grabs Mike and says that The Undertaker has made a huge mistake by returning to the WWF because now he is stepping into an inferno. He says he should have stayed on the dark side with his parents where he would have been safe, but then the lights go out and The Undertaker's gong hits. When they come back on, he's standing in the ring, but when Kane walks toward him, the lights go out again, and Taker disappears. Bear says that The Undertaker thinks this is a game, but it won't be a game when he has to face Kane at WrestleMania, and then they head backstage. Now, I don't want to say that they kind of copied the showdown between Taz and Sabu at ECW's November to Remember 96, where the lights went out before two arch-rivals could fight each other, but it's definitely in the ballpark. Next up, the artist formerly known as Goldust versus Mark Marrow, with Luna Vachon and Sable being handcuffed to opposing ring posts. Yes, that is seriously the stipulation. Once again, I feel obligated to point out the fact that the artist formerly known as Goldust tonight is dressed as... Goldust, 
which of course defeats the entire purpose of the name. Also, while I'm at it, the artist formerly known as Goldust is an obvious reference to the artist formerly known as Prince, who also died a few days ago, and he too will sort of kind of be represented on this podcast each week until Goldust gives up this gimmick. As for the match, it was not very good. The finish came when Goldust reversed Marrow's Irish whip attempt into the turnbuckle, which accidentally caused Marrow to run into referee Mike Kyoto. Goldust hit the curtain call on Marrow, then hit a leg drop on the woozy Kyoto, so I assume that will be yet another disqualification, even though it's never actually stated. Goldust then reached into Kyoto's pocket and pulled out the keys to the handcuffs, and then proceeded to unlock Luna from the ring post. Luna then headed over to the still-handcuffed sable and awesomely drew on her face with several different colors of lipstick. She then helped her wash it off by throwing a cup of water in Sable's face, which I think was a polite gesture. WWF officials came out from backstage to uncuff Sable, who then ran after Goldust and Luna, but Marrow and the officials held her back. After a commercial break, we cut backstage where Goldust says he is getting tired of holding Luna back, so they are issuing a challenge for WrestleMania. Goldust and Luna versus Mark Marrow and Sable in two-on-two transgender action. But sorry, sorry, that should say intergender action. That's, that's my mistake, but you get the picture. We then get an almost five-minute-long recap of the Steve Austin DX Mike Tyson shenanigans from the past few months, which segues us to a pre-taped exclusive interview between Jim Ross and Mike Tyson, who is wearing his DX shirt under a big-ass coat. JR asks Tyson if he thinks it's fair for him to be the enforcer in a match where he is aligned with Shawn Michaels, so Tyson says no one has treated him fairly in his life, and he then concludes by saying, quote, fair is winning, at least I think that's what he said, it was kind of tough to tell, and then he walks off. And now, somehow, your main event is Triple H accompanied by China versus Savio Vega accompanied by Los Bariquas. There are WWF officials surrounding the entire ring since Stone Cold threatened Triple H earlier tonight, and in fact, the match barely begins before Austin starts storming to the ring. He pushes some refs aside and enters the ring where Gerald Briscoe attempts to hold him back, but he gets a stunner for his efforts, then a referee gets one as well, and then Savio Vega for good measure. However, when this was going on, Shawn Michaels snuck into the ring behind Austin. Yes, he was actually in the arena after all, and hit Stone Cold with sweet chin music for the second week in a row. Triple H then held up Austin as Shawn grabbed a steel chair and got ready to swing it at him, but the show went off the air. I suppose that's understandable because they were live that night and, wait, no, they were actually pre-taped six days in advance, so that means they had plenty of time to edit the show so that they didn't have to cut off the broadcast in the middle of HBK swinging a chair. Great job, WWF, great job. If Kevin Dunn had directed The Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader would have said, Luke, I am, and then it would have just faded to black like the final episode of The Sopranos. I could bitch even further about that non-ending of an ending, but instead, let's just go to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more homes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. The WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The Ratings Recap Last week's episode of Raw drew a very strong 3.8 rating thanks to the involvement of Mike Tyson, and even though this episode was pre-taped six days in advance, the rating was down only slightly at a 3.6. Meanwhile, Nitro continued to motor along with a very strong 4.9 rating, and here is what you could have been watching on their go-home show before Sunday's pay-per-view uncensored 1998. Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Damien, I'm assuming that's a wrestler and not Satan himself, but I'll have to confirm that at a later date. Sick Boy defeated Lenny Lane, Goldberg defeated Barry Darso, 
Yes, that's right, the Repo Man still has a job with WCW in the year 1998. Dean Malenko defeated Kidman. Brian Adams defeated Chaos. Scott Norton defeated Juventud Guerrera. Chris Benoit and Diamond Dallas Page fought Raven and Perry Saturn to a no contest. The British Bulldog defeated Conan. Chris Jericho defeated Disco Inferno to retain his Cruiserweight Championship. I imagine Heavy Metal Mark Y2J must be pretty happy he got to literally defeat Disco. Booker T defeated Chavo Guerrero. Ric Flair defeated Kurt Hennig by DQ. You may remember their more noteworthy Loser Leaves Town match from the third ever episode of Raw five years prior. Lex Luger and Rick Steiner fought Scott Norton and Scott Steiner to a double countout. Of all the people on the roster, Scott fucking Norton pulls double duty and wrestles twice in one night. Go figure. And Hollywood Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall defeated Randy Savage, Sting, and The Giant in the main event. That actually sounds pretty good. So once again, Nitro was going apeshit with tons of wrestling action, putting on a whopping 13 matches on this card, with some of them actually sounding pretty entertaining. It's been said before, but WCW really does have a completely stacked roster at this point in time. When your undercard contains Goldberg, Chris Jericho, Booker T, and Chris Benoit, you're definitely firing on all cylinders. The Raw Synopsis As with most pre-taped episodes of Raw lately, this one was pretty uneventful aside from the Austin McMahon confrontation. I suppose the segment with The Undertaker haunting Kane's dressing room was pretty hilarious, albeit for the wrong reasons. Realistically, though, you could have skipped everything else on the show, and you would not have missed a thing, because most storylines just stayed in the exact same spot without advancing. Farouk and Rock are still at odds. The New Age Outlaws are still taunting Funk and Foley. China is still interfering in Owen Hart's matches, and so on. Overall, I would say you could skip the show entirely. Next week, unfortunately, Raw is pre-taped again. You may remember that the show aired on a Saturday a few weeks ago, but next week it will actually be on a Tuesday. Why, you ask? Because the USA Network had to preempt it so they could show the second part of their two-part miniseries, Moby Dick. Yep, that actually happened, but we can delve into that a little bit further on the next episode. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I leave you now with a clip of what I imagine is likely one of China's favorite moments from her tenure in the WWF back when she faced Jeff Jarrett in a good housekeeping match where household objects could be used as weapons. It's a bit of a spoiler for our podcast, which takes place about a year and a half from our current timeline, but I think we can make an exception in this case. So take a listen, and I will see you next time. It is, I don't know.